Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. For some veterans, the wounds suffered on the battlefield never heal. For them, often the treatment of choice is opioids. Little pills strong in their relief of pain. Unfortunately, in recent years, a growing number of our veterans have found themselves walking on a tightrope, teetering between getting the relief they need or falling into the devastating grip of addiction. This is Jennifer Dykes, Chief of Communications for the VA Salt Lake City Healthcare System. On this episode of Upholding Valor, we'll hear the heartfelt stories of two veterans whose lives were shattered by addiction. We'll talk candidly about what it's like to hit bottom and of the continual struggles along the trying and difficult road to recovery. Joining us now is Feet Jensen, an Iraq War veteran whose battle with opioids first began after a hidden bomb robbed Jensen of nearly half his body. My name is Feet Jensen. I have served in the Army as a medic from the years of 2005 to the years of 2012. I was severely injured in Iraq on November 9th of 2008. Me and two of my friends were on a patrol. We are just kind of looking through buildings, checking to see if there's anything there, um, looking for a place to put a school, actually. And we enter a building, and one of my friends opens the refrigerator. And inside of it, there are two, I guess we'll say Chinese rockets. They're really small bombs, but they explode. And I was the medic. I lost an inch and a half of my ulnar bone. Um, it tore all the way through to my wrist. Um, my right leg was upside down. I was looking at the bottom of the boot, and the left leg was by my head. I had one arm, and I put two tourniquets on one of my friends, gave him one of my two things of morphine, rolled over onto my stomach and crawled about 15 meters to the other one of my friends, and put two tourniquets on him and gave him my last thing of morphine. Then I pushed myself against the pillar and put two tourniquets on myself and then sat there for about 15 minutes. It was, it was pretty intense. So my physical injuries, I will start from the top. My head and my neck are fine. I got my moneymaker, face is still there. We're still good. But as we go down lower, I'm missing a lateral muscle, the entire lateral muscle on the left side. They had to remove it to try to save one of my legs and it failed. So they threw it away. 18 hour surgery, removed it, didn't work. So I'm missing a lateral muscle. I severed my ulnar nerve on my left side so my left hand does not open more than a C, whose circumference would be about six and a half inches. So it's a really big like C, it's, it's almost like having a prosthetic arm. I have a metal rod that runs through to replace the ulnar bone because the ulnar bone was shot, it was gone. And the bone and rod have been fused in two places so my wrist does not turn. I'm missing four and a half feet of my intestines. I severed my colon um, with the blast um, and there's scar tissue all over that. I have massive scars that go from the top of my chest to the bottom of my stomach right above my pelvis. I have a giant scar where I was sewn, my left arm was sewn to my stomach, and they actually had to take all my stomach skin and flesh and put it on my elbow. And then we get down to my legs. I'm an above-the-knee amputation on the left side, 
and a below the knee amputation on the right side. I'm, I'm, I'm half a dude, half a dude. <laughs> so after that, I left there on a medevac to Balad where I actually died. I was dead for about a minute and there was a crazy doctor that cut me open and brought me back. It was pretty cool. Um, from there, I went to Longstuhl, Germany, where, again, many surgeries. They weren't sure if I was going to live or if I was going to die. And from there, I made it to Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And that's kind of when my whole escapade, we'll call it, with pain medication, with opioids, began. The moment I got to Walter Reed, they were just like, you're in pain, let's fix that for you. Before that, it wasn't really a concern. No one ever asked me if I was hurting, because of course I was hurting. And that's, that's kind of when it all began. From the day that I got there forward, I, there was never a day that I wasn't on medication. Though Jensen would undergo more than 100 surgeries to recover, the pills, not the bomb, would prove to be his toughest fight. But first, let's hear from Shane Brooks, an Afghanistan war veteran whose decades-long struggle with addiction brought him to the brink of death. So I'm a United States Marine Corps veteran, uh, was attached with 3rd Combat Engineer Battalion, did a, one tour in Afghanistan, and I've been an addict since I was 13. That's when I first started to drink, at 13. I uh, thought it was a cool thing to do. Growing up in Wyoming, you know, everybody's out hunting at 13 years old, so all my buddies were drinking, and started drinking then, and then at 14 started the weed never really quit the drinking laid off the weed during my marine corps career but yeah i've been battling addiction since i was 13. i never really fit in growing up so i kind of wanted to run away and i thought that the marine corps would be the best place to run away to once i got out i felt like i didn't have a purpose anymore there was no drive to wake up in the morning. Uh, so that's when the addiction really took off. That's when I started drinking heavily. I was drinking about a gallon of whiskey a day. That's when the cocaine really started to come into play, as well as the opioids. Uh, most of my days would start off with me rolling out of bed and drinking a few beers right away. That way I was never hungover because I was always drunk. And that was mainly because I felt nobody would understand me anymore. I would say probably the, the inability to connect with people. That, that's probably the hardest part about being addicted. You make friends, but they're only your friends if you have the dope or the weed or the alcohol. You don't really make a connection with anybody. You can't really have relationships unless they're a fellow addict, but then they get mad because you used all of the substance and there's none for them. And so you end up alone. I had gotten so ashamed with myself through my addiction that prior to going into the inpatient unit here, I wasn't even looking at myself in the mirror. I hadn't looked in a mirror in five years at that point in time. I was brushing my teeth in the shower, had towels over the mirrors hanging in my apartment because I just didn't want to see myself. 
I was that ashamed. My father was an alcoholic and a drug addict as well. And I felt like I was just going down the same road as him and that that would disappoint my mother. While Brooke's troubles were just beginning, Jensen's struggles with opioids were rapidly escalating and the once kind and caring man could only watch as his life spiraled out of control. When I first got injured, I thought I was awesome. I weighed 185 pounds. I had 8% body fat. I could do anything, anything I wanted. And then I got injured and I tried to maintain that. I am awesome. But I looked in the mirror and realized that it wasn't true and it made me angry. And it, it tore a piece of me away like this, this, that caring individual that was a medic, the person that loved everybody, even if you were a jerk. I, I loved everybody. And then there was a moment one day where I didn't because I didn't love me anymore. That, that's the hardest thing to deal with. And I, I really didn't believe that I could have an addiction problem because there were people looking out for me. There were people who went to college, people who knew what they were doing. They were like, yeah, we know what this is doing. And, you know, the, the craziest thing about it all is never once did anyone talk about what it was doing to my organs, what it was doing to my brain, how my brain had been swimming around in an Oxycontin-fueled juice for six years. So when you come off of that, even after the addiction and you come off and you're like, yeah, I did it. I went through the withdrawals. I did it all. Yeah, it's not over. It's not over ever. You you damaged yourself. You you hurt yourself with these things. These things, like, they, they, if you get to the point where you're actually addicted to this, where you realize that you are addicted to it, other people realize you're addicted to it, the damage has been done, and the best that you can do is come off of it. And you can hope and strive to never go back to it again. I was quick to yell at somebody, quick to call them a name. This caring, loving individual had left. He was gone. And you know, it's funny as I blamed it on PTSD. I blamed it on the big black monster that sits over our shoulder because it was easy. It was easy to call it that. It was easy to say the reason I was snappy was because I was a blown up soldier. So it's, it's funny that the personality differences are drastic, drastic. Like it, you couldn't even call it a 180 change. It's, I spun circles so many times. It was like the exorcist. It's crazy. It's hard. And when you see the way that I treated people for years and called them my friends and they all just loved me anyway, that's crazy. That's all this is. Addiction is crazy. It's like being crazy. And you can't stop it. And you want to. Every day. Every day. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. There's no one who can help you. You have to help you. It isn't until the day that you realize 
that you have an addiction, that you can do anything about it. And you can't realize that until you hit the bottom. And sometimes for some people, the bottom is death. And for some of us, it's not. But there isn't a voice out there that can help you. There isn't. There isn't a hug that will cure this. There isn't a pill. There isn't a shot. For Brooks, years of addiction had left the Marine a shell of his former self. The guilt and grip of addiction had consumed him, and in doing so, dragged him down to the darkest of reaches. Losing good friends in deployment, it, that affects you, whether you're physically there or not. You know, These are people you, you get to know on a personal basis. And then dealing with that, plus the addiction and the levels of deceit that I would go to to fuel the addiction, uh, the lying to people, stealing money, uh, various other things to fuel it and keep it going uh, led to a lot of depression, a lot of disappointment in myself. And, and that led to the first a suicide attempt, which was an intentional overdose. They pumped, I want to say, 53 complete pills out of my stomach after they got me to the hospital. I, I don't know how many I took. I was just grabbing bottles, and however many was in there, I took. That was the first one. The second one was in 2017. I uh, tried to hang myself in my apartment and my mom called the cops because I sent her a text message basically telling her that I loved her and and that it was going to be the end the cops showed up and then I pretended everything was all right because I I didn't want to go they wanted me to go get help and I didn't want to so I told them no it's not what you think it is I'm fine I was trying to get clean, trying to work on things. And I asked my sister at the time if I could see my nephew and use him as a purpose in life to kind of help get me right. She told me I was unsafe to be around my nephew. And that sent me into a spiral that day. I did about an eight ball of cocaine. Um pop five or six opioids that's all I had and then went to the bar and drank until I had no money left and then came home and attempted to cut my femoral artery inside my mom's house and I stopped before it got too late the lowest was trying to kill myself inside my mom's house that brought up a lot of memories from my dad's suicide. I realized how selfish I was being. I realized I was gonna ruin my mom's home. My mom was never gonna be able to come home again and, and feel comfortable knowing that her son killed himself in her house. Being her only son too, and the youngest, uh, that, that was gonna wreck my mom. And that was the lowest point. That's when I woke up and realized I needed to do something. 
to break the cycle, to change who I was. Having reached the bottom, Brooks reached out to the VA for help. Joining us now is Jamie Clinton Lott, Director of the Primary Care Pain Education and Opioid Monitoring Program at the VA Salt Lake City. Lant, who has seen the good and bad of opioids, wants to ensure our veterans receive the relief they need and oversees programs designed to help avoid the pitfalls of addiction. We think that if we can get the veteran engaged in their care um, in things in addition to just pain medications, we can actually make a difference and save lives. That's the first thing we say in the class is this is not about taking away your opioids. In fact, we don't want to take away the opioids. We want people to be functional, and that may be with the opioid medications on board. What we want to do is have patients educated on how to stay safe with their opioids, but also do other things to manage their pain. Opioid medications, you can expect maybe a 30% uh, decrease in uh, pain maximum. Uh, regardless of the dose. Um, and then you got the other 70% that you have to deal with yourself. Um, and so we try to engage, vet- we first want veterans to understand that, that there's 70% that's really up to them um, and that uh, they need to maybe um, think about doing things to improve their health, whether it be weight loss, whether it be improving their exercise or increasing their exercise, sleeping better. Um, And to do these things, you know, um, maybe mindfulness would work, Uh, maybe yoga would work, maybe walk with ease or uh, other veteran-led programs would be helpful. We have uh, several veterans who have um, participated in this program and have chosen to take themselves off opioids with our assistance. Um, And they actually say that their pain is no worse, it's no better, but they feel a lot better and they're more functional. At the VA, Brooks found himself drifting along the road to recovery. It wasn't until he took a hard look at the choices he had made that he took the wheel and regained control of his life. I tried to kill myself in my mother's house, and uh, she just kind of said, you're going, um, and brought me to the VA here in Salt Lake. And I was at the inpatient unit for 58 days before they moved me to the SARTEP program, and then I was there for another 63 days. Uh, Just about 20 months sober now. It's the longest since 13 years old. About the first 20 days in the inpatient unit, I, I didn't care. I would attend the groups that they had, but I wouldn't participate because I felt I didn't need to be there. I felt like I didn't have an addiction problem, that I could quit at any time. I quickly began to realize after about day 23 that I might have a bigger problem than I than I thought. The outpatient ones I had previously tried, they were just everyday people. And uh, I found myself not opening up as easy, not talking about things as much because I was like, these people are never going to understand anything I say. The Substance Abuse Addiction Residential Treatment Program here, they helped me. The counselors there, they they saw through all the BS, all the excuses I tried to make to get out of things. The things I would say to make it not seem so bad, just so I could get out earlier and graduate the program quicker. They saw through all of that. They forced me to push the envelope 
uh, on a lot of things. Uh, things from my childhood, things from my military service, things from after I got out, and really made me dig deep into who I was. That was the program that really changed me. Being in with a group of vets, that brotherhood feeling that I had from the service came back real quick. Uh, the feeling of a family, the feeling of belonging came back real quick. And that was probably the biggest thing. Meanwhile, Jensen was left torn about his feelings for VA. While he said the VA did nothing to help the cycle of addiction, he also admitted that he didn't seek help for his problem. For those lost years, he blames himself. Everyone should be coming and seeking all the help they can get. Every program anywhere. When, when I really look at it, um, I would say that the VA didn't fail me. I failed me. And I knew it. And every time that I didn't get help, and every time that I didn't go to a program that maybe was brought up or something to that effect, every time that those kinds of things didn't happen, I failed me. We should be helping as many people as we can, and the VA say, seems to do that. For me personally, they have always been there for me. Always. It didn't start at the VA level with the pills. It started at a level of just a doctor. Modern day medicine failed me. Not understanding things and me not asking questions failed me. Jensen would fall further into the throes of addiction before a crisis of conscience tore him from its grip. But climbing back into the world would prove to be more difficult than he could imagine. You have to realize it's a problem. Tell somebody after you've realized it. Yeah, that's a big one. Tell somebody. You can admit that you have a problem. You can admit that you're addicted to the pills, the alcohol, the porn. You can admit it all you want to yourself. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you admit it to that guy. Because you don't really care. My birthday is January 9th. And it was right around my birthday. And I was like, man, some, something's got to give. I'm about to, to move into this. I'm about to turn 29. I'm going to be 30 soon. Do I want people to take me seriously? Can I even take myself seriously? How could I ever ask my son to step forward and be the man that I want him to be and to be who he needs to be and to face his fears if I can't even face a little bit of pain? I just decided no more. No more. So she sent me my last prescription and I put it on top of my PlayStation. I didn't take one, one of them, not one. And I stared at it for two weeks and I cold turkey did that withdrawal. I was at 300 milligrams a day when I did that. And it was hell on earth. I, it was so bad, so bad. I wouldn't wish that on my enemy. And nobody prepared me for it. Not one person. Not one. And I, it's hard to say that without anger. It's hard to say that without disdain for our medical system. It's hard. You have to do it because you want to. You have to do it because you know that it's what you need. You can't do it for a kid. You can't do it for a wife, a husband, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a dog. You can't do it for anyone but you. 
that you have to live with you every day. If you're looking to me and asking me for advice, the only advice I'm going to give you is look in the mirror. Do you like that guy? Do you like that girl? Do you like that not guy or girl? Do you? Because if you do, then do it for them. This will always be a lifelong battle, but once you get ahead, it's a lifelong battle you're always going to win. And once you know that, who cares? Who cares? Once you hit the bottom and you stand back up, and that's coming from a guy with no legs, you stand up, use your legs, go forward. Just do it. It'll be hard. You're going to want to die. You're going to want to cry. You're going to feel emotions you've never felt. And in the end, you're going to be a better person. There's no way you couldn't be. It's so hard to get on top. But as soon as you do, you're willing to step into the ring with it all day. You're going to knock the crap out of it. For Brooks... His time at the VA proved worthwhile. He's been sober for 20 months now, his longest run of sobriety since he was 13 years old. It's easier said than done to put the substance down, but life does get better when you put it behind you. Now when I think about it or see it, my response is different. I I don't get the physical cravings as often anymore I'm not running around my house looking for things just because I had a bad day the best part about being sober is doing things like this sharing my story and my struggle to hopefully reach and help another addict that's in the same position I was 20 months ago Jensen has been sober since 2015 Having broken free of his dependence on pills, he's rediscovered the man he once was, and more importantly, learned that life's worth living. If, if I'm being honest, the, the drug of choice that I switched to, my addiction is adrenaline. I have totally switched to an adrenaline junkie. I do a monositsuki. I rock climb. I have started rock climbing. I rock climb three times a week, four hours. I have a friend who is completely blind, and I help her rock climb. I'm willing to jump out of airplanes. I, I'll do whatever. I drive a million miles a minute around the craziest of racetracks. Um, but I've, I've decided that that's okay. That that's okay. Because it really doesn't hurt anyone. Not even me because I'm smart and I'm safe about it. I wanna, I wanna live. I wanna not worry about tomorrow. I wanna know that if it comes, it'll be good. Um, and if it doesn't, that's all right. It's over. Just move forward. Take every day one day at a time. I'm just excited to move forward and watch 
myself and my family and my friends grow and change and this was the first five steps of my journey the journey's only begun this wasn't extreme if you want to see extreme just keep following the journey I've been on so far was rough rough but not really more rough than others This concludes this episode of Upholding Valor. I'd like to thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe or rate us. Or better yet, tell a friend to tune in by texting VETERANS to 57500 or go to ksl360.com slash veterans. We hope you'll join us for the next podcast, where we'll be talking about the troubling problem of veteran homelessness.